Hello, my beautifully broken friends, and welcome to another podcast. My name is Lori Rollinger, and I'm sorry this week if you can hear how nasally I am. Uh, I live in Arizona, and it's completely uh, my, I don't know if like it, everything's kind of starting to to spring and bud, and but uh, I think I'm allergic to everything outside that grows. And the funny thing is, uh, I had an allergist growing up who said, move to like the desert. He actually said the best place for you is sun, surf, and sand. So I got the sun and I got the sand. I'm just missing the surf, like was so close, but that didn't happen. So I moved out here and actually did pretty, pretty good. But the problem is, is everybody who lived in other parts of the uh U.S., they all moved here, too, because their allergies were terrible, but they brought their plants with them. So now Arizona is not a great place for allergies, I'm sorry to say. So uh, about this time every year, I just kind of get the gunk. It's terrible. So sorry about the nasally sound. But uh, I thought with this week having... Valentine's Day attached to it that I would kind of talk to you about what what do you do about love when love is tough, right? Uh, I love love. I've mentioned before that I'm a totally hopeless romantic. I love being in love. I love talking about love. I love reading about love. I love watching cheesy Hallmark movies about love and don't hate on them because I know like I could probably write some too. But the point is, is that they all end with a happily ever after. And, you know, that's like right up my alley. I just love a happily ever after. Love is wonderful, isn't it? And the wonderful thing for me is that I happen to have found the love of my life. I found a true fairy tale romantic kind of love. I'm not saying that it was perfect and that Greg and I never fought. I mean, we were passionate people. We're passionate about each other. We're passionate about life. We're passionate about the church, about our kids. And, And so when you have two passionate people, it can lead to some pretty passionate fighting as well. But, you know, making up for our fighting usually made it worth fighting about. So um, one thing about Greg and I is when we got married, we had talked about, um, aside from our marriage vows, that we vowed to each other that we would never throw around the word divorce. Uh, I came from a long line of um in my family, people getting married and staying married. They, we didn't have divorces in my family. And quite the opposite, Greg grew up in a broken home. So I think each of us coming from those backgrounds, like I was determined to have what my parents had, what my grandparents had, what my great-grandparents had. And he was determined not to have what he grew up with. And so we kind of made this deal that we knew we were going to get angry with each other and we knew 
how easy it would be to say, you know, well, do you want a divorce? And we just kind of said, we're not going to do that to each other. Divorce is off the table. Murder crossed our minds once or twice, um, but never divorce because we committed to each other that this was what we were going to do and we were going to make it work no matter what. And part of what helped make our marriage work is that we learned how to communicate. And that's something that's really tough, especially when you're angry with someone, right? You just don't want to communicate with them. You want space. But we learned often that if we took too much space from each other, uh, it would create a wider gap. So we would never go too long without just hashing it out. And sometimes we had to learn how to say, you know, okay, I see your point of view. I don't necessarily agree, but I'm going to compromise. And I'm definitely going to apologize for my part of the um, situation. And Greg always uh, apologized for you know, his part and how he made me feel. And that just really worked for us that we were able to communicate and say our, we were sorry to each other and then move on from there. And I know as a woman, sometimes you just want to hang on to <laughs> their mistakes because, you know, what can I say? We both made some doozies. But Part of forgiveness is when you say you're going to forgive, you've got to let it go. You just can't keep hashing it up. So when days like Valentine's Day come around, um, it's, it's easy to grieve the loss of your loved one. But truthfully, Valentine's Day was never like anything we made a big deal about. I mean... It was an easy excuse to go out on a date night, kind of get away from our kids, and, and we would enjoy going out to dinner and maybe seeing a movie or taking a walk or, you know, whatever we wanted to do. But it was never like that big of a deal because pretty much every day was Valentine's Day for us. You know, we would do little romantic gestures for each other throughout the year, Um you know, he would buy me fresh flowers a lot of the time, which is my favorite. You know, now I have to go to the store and buy it for myself, which is kind of awkward. Some I had one guy at Costco say, um, you know, that my my husband should be buying these for me. And it gets so weird when you're widowed, right? Because you don't want to say, well, he's dead. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not really something that is pleasant for anyone. So I think uh, what I've done is I just learned to smile and laugh and say, yeah, he really should be buying me these flowers. But right now I'm going to buy them for myself. So anyways, that was kind of a sidetrack. But if you're widowed, you kind of understand, I think, where I'm coming from. So Valentine's Day was kind of, you know, it was a nice excuse to get together and and do something fun but it it was just not anything super spectacular so I think for me Valentine's Day isn't necessarily the hurt that I feel at at other times but I definitely miss just being with him I mean if I could have 
another hour with Greg. That would just be wonderful. But I don't. So now what do I do? Uh, You know, I've been widowed for four years now. So I just have learned that I can't stay in that space in my life, in my in that place in my life where I just constantly go back to I wish, I wish, I wish. Um, because I, I was there for a long time. So where do I turn? Because I know I can't stay in the place of, of just being constantly and grieving over him. Well, I think that's pretty easy if you guys know me. I go to the source that I know best, that gives me hope, that gives me encouragement, that gives me a glimpse of what is to come, and that is to God. I run to God. I run to Scripture. And, you know, some people have asked me, like, why why do you always turn back to God? And, and I'll tell you, if God... If the God thing isn't real, then I have no hope. (laughs) Like all my eggs are in God's basket. But I do know God is real. And he's shown me in so many ways that he is real, that he is here, that he sustains me. Um, But it's all I got. It's either him or it's nothing. I was not long ago on a plane flying home somewhere and I was sitting next to this man who we started up a conversation. He found out, you know, my story, I'm a widow and his, his father had recently passed just like mine had. One thing led to another and I, of course, talked to him about Jesus in my life and how Jesus works for me. And he wasn't impressed with my, uh, logic and he's a he was a successful man and you know he just kind of looked at me like I was using my religion as a crutch and I just said to him well (laughs) if it's a crutch it's working for me because at some point we all have to face the future and life and death and where do we go after that and For me, I know where I'm going when I die, and I have a peace that passes all understanding. And this is why I choose to turn to God. One of the things about thinking about love is we have to remember that God loves us so much. Like He is the inventor of love, the creator of love. He loves us so much that He made us in His image. We are in the, made in the image of God. We have feelings that God has. So the things that we feel and we go through, they, they all stem from God's love for us and his making us in his image. We know that God loved us so much that he gave his only son to die for us. But God also tells us that and the beginning of time that God wants us to love him too. It's not just a one-sided, you know, obviously God loves us enough to give us free will. He's never going to force us to do anything. But 
when he created Adam and Eve, it was very, very plain that he loved them so much, but he wanted them to love him in return as well. This is a wonderful love story. He wants us to know that he loves us, but he wants us in return to love him too. He would spend copious amounts of time in the garden, walking with Adam and Eve, learning about them. And in return, they learned about him. Obviously, he knew everything about them. But, you know, as a good friend does, even if you know, you ask questions and you get to know people. And and in him getting to know them, they in return got to know him. It's a beautiful story about God's love for humankind. From the time of Adam and Eve on past when they had to leave the garden through the time when he chose Abraham and the Israelites to be his people to the time when he gave instructions to Moses for his people, he was teaching them the importance about love and what he expected them to do. In Deuteronomy, he gave Moses the instructions that we are to love God with everything we have. And then Jesus expounded on those laws that that God had given to Moses. And in Mark 12:30 he said, "And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength." So, what does it mean to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, you know, I think the heart part is pretty easy. When we say we love from the heart, (laughs) it's with affection, that gooey, you know, I love you with my heart. It's all those feelings. To me, it's to love God passionately and with a fervor and to see all that he's done for us and to love him because he first loved us. Loving God when you know how much he loved you, that's easy. I'll tell you, when I first met Greg and we were getting to know each other, and I kind of felt like, well, I I really feel like I'm falling in love with this guy. We, We took a walk. This is probably two months after we started dating. And I wanted to tell him, like, I love you, but it's not something that I just say or give away easily. And it wasn't until he said it first that he loved me that I felt comfortable enough to say that I loved him. And it's kind of not the same with God, but along the same lines. We don't have to wonder how God feels about us. It's written all over scripture. He loves us so much. And because of his love, because of reading how much he loved us, it's so easy to love God. To love God with your soul seems to me to be like the dedication part where you truly surrender your will to his. When you love God so much that you trust him with your salvation and with your life, when you put your complete faith and trust in him, sometimes not even understanding completely or knowing what's to come, that to me is loving God with all of your soul. Have you ever seen... Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I love this movie for so many reasons. First of all, Indiana Jones, like, right? 
<laughs> I mean, he's amazing. But they also, this is the third movie, and they're in this place called Petra, which is in Israel. It's Sorry, it's in Jordan. And I've actually been there. It's so incredible how people built, like in ancient times, this beautiful city out of mountains. But in the movie, Indiana Jones has to get across this ravine that does not look like it has a bridge. And he has to basically step out by faith, not seeing that bridge and trusting that the instructions he has says that there's a bridge there. And so you kind of, you know, you're in this movie and you feel the trepidation as he gets ready, puts his leg out like he's going to take a step and then big breath and he leans forward. And guess what? That bridge was underneath him. He just couldn't see it because of the way the light was. So then he took some dirt and he, he threw it onto that bridge so that he could see it to walk across. To me, this is a great illustration of what it means to love God with our soul. Next is how do we love God with all of our mind? And to me, this means knowledge. My pastor always talks about the fact that Christianity isn't just a blind faith. It's not parking our brain, but that we really use our minds and our brain to get to know him and what that looks like in knowing him and loving him. Now, how do we get to know God? I would say the first way that we start to get to know God is through reading scripture. Scripture is all about God's love note to us, right? There's instruction in there. There's encouragement in there. There's warning in there. This is where we go to, to know more about God. Also through prayer. How do you get to know anyone? Well, you talk to them. And I know that God doesn't come down and and sit with me and speak audibly to me. But the Holy Spirit will convict me. He will bring knowledge and wisdom to me to show me which way I should go or what I should do or what God's will is for my life. To love God with your mind means that you spend time with him every day, reading his word and talking to him in prayer. Quality time is what is needed to get to know God. You have to love him with with your mind and be willing to know what he wants for you. You have to know what he wants you to stay away from. You have to know what he wants you to run to. And that means you have to get to know him. You have to get to know his word. And you have to talk to him daily in prayer. Once you know Christ is your savior, the Holy Spirit, he does live in there. I I can't even tell you how many times, um, especially in single parenting, because when I first lost Greg, I knew I was in way in over my head. And as a parent loves a child so much, I knew what they were missing by not having a father in their home and in their life. And so I prayed to God. I'm like, God, you think I can do this? I don't think I can. But you are going to have to be the father to these kids that I can't be. And I try, listen, I've got three boys. I have three sons. 
And I do try to think about what their dad would want for them and what he would say to them. But I'm still their mother. Like the the female and sensitivity part just oozes out of me. That's what I'm created to be. But I do try to balance it with <laughs> what would their dad do. But I threw it back on God and I said, you think that this is acceptable so I need you to step in as a parent and help me out. And I cannot even tell you how many times, supernaturally even, that my kids will be walking out the door and I'll just get this gut feeling like I need to say this to them or I need to question them or I need to look in their room or I need to talk to their friends. And so many times God leads me to what, I would have never known or expected or even knew to question about. Why? Because God loves me. God loves my kids. And because I love him back and I get to know him, I know when he's leading in my life. And I can tell when he's leading in their lives. And then together, we parent way better than me parenting on my own. I can't do it. I'm just telling y'all. I really suck at it on my own. So uh, if my kids turn out okay, really, that's a God thing because um, uh, I definitely need his supernatural wisdom and knowledge to help me raise them in the way they should go. To love God with all of your strength, to me, is the commitment to persevere in loving God, no matter what comes into your life. Going back to that part where Greg and I said we wouldn't throw around the word divorce that was us persevering in our marriage and in our relationship so when I use it in my relationship with God it's kind of the same thing where I promise no matter what comes into my life to stick with him I'm going to persevere even though it doesn't feel good even though bad things happen in my life even though I'm tired and I don't want to, even when I'm lazy and uncommitted, I have to choose every day to love God with all of my strength. We are never told when we choose to love God that hardships won't happen. I didn't get that promise when I married Greg either, nor did I expect it that just because he seemed like this shining night to me, I knew there was going to be trouble ahead. That's life, right? Life has hard times. Life has good times. But I chose to love him. And when we choose to love God and trust him despite what we feel like or or the how hard life may get, it's then that we can truly appreciate how much he loves us. As my pastor always says, The blessing is in the doing, not just the understanding or the knowing. And after all, love is an action, right? So while some of us may not have a valentine or have a love of our life or even have loving feelings for those in our lives, you know, as we approach Valentine's season, we have something that's much better. We have a God who loves us unconditionally, who 
made us in his image, who knows everything about us and just wants us to love him back with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. And so as we move through this Valentine's holiday, I just want to encourage all of us to really try to love him with everything we have as he loves us in all of our beautifully brokenness. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for loving us, for loving us so much that you created us in your image. Thank you for guiding us, for filling us with a peace that passes all understanding and giving us a hope for our future. I pray for my friends as they live out their lives and maybe feel like there's not love in their life, that you would come alongside them and love them and show them in tangible ways that you do love them and that if they would surrender and love you with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you in return will bless and love them and show them the love that they are looking for. I pray these things in your name. Amen.